Please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46, as we continue in our summer series, seeing all of life as worship through the Psalms. As we come to God's word, let's come to him once again in prayer and ask for his aid. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you are the one who opens blind eyes. You're the one who unstops deaf ears. You are the one who opens ignorant and closed minds. You're the one who gives new hearts. So Father, would you be pleased that we would hear your word. We could see the truth there in it. That we would not only have understanding, Father, but we would have a growing desire to put what's before us into practice, whether it is what we are to believe about you or what duty you ask of us. Father, be pleased to transform us through your word and by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was mid-afternoon this past Friday afternoon. Unexpectedly, with no warning, I found myself in a situation where I had to call for help. I had my phone in the car and I dialed 911 because right in front of me, an accident had just occurred on I-71 and Matthew and I were spared by... um, probably less than an inch of being part of the wreckage of five or six cars. Well, I called 911, and for all intents and purposes, I was put on hold for about 30 seconds before the operator came on. Um, That sounds bad, but there is good news, because I think it was because a number of other people were calling at the same time. And so the operator was already familiar with what was going on. And so I called for help. Uh, There was a slight delay, uh, uh, but the good news is many others were also calling for help. Now, Psalm 46 before us is about help provided immediately without delay. Uh, Because you see, as we will see in Psalm 46, help is already present. Help is in person and on time. Help is here and help is now. The only thing I could think of is what would have happened if if right behind me in the traffic was several uh, ambulances and several fire trucks and, and several police cars. Then there would have been immediate help and not delayed help. And help would have been here and now in person, present right away. Now, I want us to take a look at Psalm 46 this morning, once again through the lens of the New Testament. As I've been working my way through the Psalms, I'm realizing, yeah, they're a treasure for the church in so many ways, but what I'm beginning to see is they're a treasure in helping us understand, in particular, the the life and ministry of Jesus and and the church. So we're going to actually start our our look at Psalm 46 through John 16, verse 33. John 16, verse 33. Um, This is Jesus' last words of instruction 
to his disciples before he uh, prays in, in what's known as the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus' last words of instruction. Now, kids in school, um, I'm sure teachers have different um, styles. Uh, some, some teachers say what's most important up front. Some teachers may say it you know, in the middle. Some may actually say it at the end. And it's interesting that this is Jesus' last words of instruction. And this is what he said. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what do we have in the world? We have tribulation. We have trouble, as some translations put it. But what do we have in Jesus Christ? We have peace. In the world, we've got trouble. In Jesus Christ, we have peace. Now notice that his last word of instruction is a call to take heart, to take courage, to be of good cheer. I believe Psalm 46 is here in, in one sense to fan the flames of this command, to provide fuel for this command to burn bright in our lives, to take heart, to take courage, to be of good cheer. When we were in Psalms 42 through 44, there was a depth, a depth of trouble and lament Last week, we were in the heights of Christian delight in God and in God's delight of his people. Here now in 46, we're going to be back in trouble, but we'll see it's a confident celebration of God's support of his people. Indeed, it was times during the early days of the Protestant Reformation that Martin Luther found himself in trouble, discouraged, depressed, in despair. And as I mentioned earlier, he would call his co-worker, his, his friend, Philip Melanchthon, and say, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. And pretty much the, the entire um, hymn that we sang is built off of this first verse in Psalm 46. Now, I mentioned earlier when we read our Old Testament passage, we don't know the historical uh, background with any degree of certainty, but if you had to guess, it's probably this deliverance of Jerusalem from the attack of the Syrians uh, during the time of King Hezekiah. Now, our approach to Psalm 46 this morning will be to unpack the proclamation in verse 1, and then to explore the protection, verses 2 through 7, and then finally to consider the peace, verses 8 through 11, um, proclamation, protection, and peace. Um, I, I do that hopefully for your benefit, but also for my benefit as well, as there was many ways that you could organize uh, and benefit from this psalm. Um, I want to read all 11 verses now, and as it's read, I want you to take note, take particular note of the language that is used and the imagery that's presented. So let's listen to Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help 
in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's look at verse 1, and we need to identify the actors in this proclamation. Who is making this declaration? Who is, who is speaking? In other words, put differently, who's asking for help? It's Israel. It's, it's God's people. It's His chosen ones. Um, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Our. Now, specifically described as we will see in Psalm 46, these are the inhabitants, the, the citizens of the city of God, uh, Jerusalem as it occupies a central place in the life of God's people. Who's making this proclamation? The the, the citizens, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the, the holy city, as we will take a look at soon. Who's the subject of this proclamation? In other words, who's, who's going to provide the help that's being asked for? Well, as we will see several times, he's described as God, the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob. The God who is, first of all, our refuge. He's the one who shields his people from danger. It's a defensive or external aspect of salvation. God is unchanging. And you and I want a refuge, a shelter, a fortress to be immovable, impenetrable. It's that external defensive position that, that shields us in danger. But the psalmist goes on to say that not only is God our refuge, he is our strength. He empowers us in weakness. Instead of this static position of being a refuge, this is a dynamic um, aspect that God is within his people to empower them for action. When we are weak, he is strong as we sing throughout our lives. God is our refuge and strength. And the psalmist continues, a very present help. A very present help. I, I, sometimes the way to really meditate on God's word is to ask yourself, why 
Is it very present? Why not just say, God is our refuge and strength, help in trouble, all true. But God led the writer of this psalm to say, a a very present help in trouble. God, there's a readiness to be found. Uh, He's enough for any situation in life. It's a very present help in trouble. And I've already said it, but when is this proclamation being made? God's people are in the world and they are in trouble, as we will see. Two major things are taking place. They're living in a time of trouble. It's it's back almost to John 16, 33. In the world, you'll have tribulation. In the world, you'll have trouble. Jesus says, God's people are asking, are are declaring that that God is a very present help in trouble. A very present help first in the form of protection. Uh, Let's explore verses two through seven. Two begins, therefore, we will not fear. Because of The declaration, because of who God is, we will not fear. And here the psalmist is going to describe, begin to describe some things that indeed are quite fearful. The upheaval of nature. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Here is almost the reverse of creation where the waters and land were separated and God put up boundaries and said the sea can go no further. Here, the mountains, pictures of stability and strength are falling into the sea. And the the waters, sea being in the Old Testament in particular, chaos and out of control. And that which is stable is all of a sudden unstable. I remember, those of you that remember uh, what took place on September 11th, uh, 2001, um, who would have imagined that the World Trade Centers would have both collapsed, both towers? You know, in, in ancient times, we'll see that people were experienced with sieges of cities, but not mountains falling into the sea. And so the psalmist is describing this cosmic upheaval, this this, this mountains are falling into the waters. It's almost the reverse of creation, the uncreation, the, the uh, destabling of all that's stable. But then the psalmist goes on to describe the rage of man. And I want us to skip down to verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. So here you've got this image and picture of the whole world collapsing. But not only that is the nations of the world, they're raging. And we will see they are raging in particular at Jerusalem, the holy city, the the city of God. But look... At what we read in verse 5 in particular. God is in the midst of her. That is 
we will talk about in a moment, the city of God, the holy habitation. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Here we have God's presence and power. The psalmist is wanting God's people to know that they are secure even in times of tumult, in times of upheaval. The city of God. We jump back to verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. It's one of the great themes of the Old Testament moving all the way forward into the New Testament, the, the, the city of God. And here in particular, you see the contrast between, and Augustine would probably say this, the city of God versus the city of man. Look at the instability of the mountains and the nations versus the stability of the city. God is in, her, in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. What have we just seen? We've seen the mountains moved. Creation upended and yet the city not moved. Jerusalem untouched as it were. There's a contrast between the city not moving and the mountains moving and we see the contrast between this river a river whose streams make glad the city of God versus the chaos of the waters. Rivers of living waters. Jesus would speak in John 7 of, of the Holy Spirit, likening it to rivers of living waters that would bring life to people. Instead of the instability of the raging ocean, there is the stream of water making the people glad. Here, of course, is the reference to ancient Jerusalem, which, as we know, did get destroyed. And yet, it's speaking, of course, to the new Jerusalem, the holy city, the new Jerusalem that we read about in Revelation, in particular chapters 21 and 22. The Lord's presence and power protect his people from the upheaval of creation, from the rage of the nations. And we come now to verse 7. This first refrain can be seen simply as our fortress is with us. Our fortress is with us. The Lord of hosts, what, what should we think of when we hear that? It speaks of of God's might. He, the armies of Israel or the armies of heaven and scripture both attributes that expression to both. It speaks of his might. He is referred to as the God of Jacob. It speaks of grace. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. Conniving. Deceiving. Jacob. God's chosen. God is keeping his covenant, his promises to his people. The God of Abraham, Isaac, the Jacob. The psalmist says, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And so when you're looking at God's word and you, and you see this, you go, aha. What's the psalmist saying this for? And you go back and you read the history of Jacob. And you see God's kindness to a sinner, the God of Jacob. 
Our fortress is with us. Now, our world today, as all of us no doubt know, is in a pandemic. Uh, There are differing views all out there, especially of the cause um, and maybe the correct course of action to take, to be sure. But, But there are some things that are undeniable, and I would say the effects. Now, now bear with me here. Those of you that like sports, right? Professional, college, high school. Things are going to be different for a while. Oh, you may say, but I don't care about sports. Well, do you like to eat out? It's changing. People have lost jobs all around the world. Education is changing. What had been in place is no longer in place. Transportation. You know, one of my cousins, I was hoping he would come up to visit, and he said, well, they're just limiting us to non-essential, no, they're limiting us to only essential work travel. Things have changed. Things are changing. Um, What may have been stable for many of us is unstable. The mountains, as it were, are coming into the sea. And as politics enters into this mix, you've got the nations raging. And not just the nations raging, but the nation raging. Indeed, the calls may be questioned, but the effects are right before us. Now go back with me. To verse 2, therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. You know, you may not fear, but others you know and love may be fearing for a variety of reasons. Some people fearing that they themselves may get sick and die. But I would think that that's really not the major concern. It's of loved ones. It's fear of losing a job, fear of not being able to do something. There is fear out there. You may not fear, but how about your brother and sister in Christ? J.C. Ryle, the Anglican bishop of the 1800s, um, in his commentary on, uh, I think it was Luke, no, it was John, excuse me, he says this, and you've heard me say it, It's worth repeating. Our Lord has many weak children in his family, many dull pupils in his school, many raw soldiers in his army, many lame sheep in his flock, yet he bears with them all and casts none away. Happy is that Christian who has learned to deal likewise with his brethren. Because in the Psalms, we also read that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Right? This psalm is a celebratory psalm of confidence. And yet, of course, it's in the context of everything. We will not fear. But oh, yes, some of us at times are afraid. How do we love and care for our brother and sister who are afraid? For whatever reason. How does the Lord come alongside them? How do we come alongside one another? 
So we've seen a very present help in the form of protection. But we also see a very present help in the form of peace. And we'll see that the statement of trouble is followed now by an exhortation to trust. And I, I can't believe I didn't see it, but there is the indicative and the imperative in here. The statement of fact and the, the command in response. Peace. They've just had this refrain. You've got this word selah, meaning stop and think about this. Pause. And then we read in verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The first command, come, behold, come and, and see. And although the outcome is peace, the process is judgment. You, you see before you a world devastated and a world forcibly disarmed. Because my friends, tranquility and peace is found on the far side of judgment. Because this psalm is a psalm also, not just of confidence, but of judgment, God's judgment. And there's a second command. And we see that in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The psalm began, started with the voice of man making a proclamation. And here toward the end, you, you see the voice of God. Be still and know. Now, Who's God talking to? Who's he saying, be still and know? And, and I think there's two audiences. There's first spoken to the nations and then spoken to us. It's, it's not in the first place comfort for the harassed, but rather a rebuke to a restless and turbulent world. Children, do you remember a few weeks ago we... we um, spoke of Jesus being asleep in the boat with his disciples and, and the disciples were afraid because what? Jesus was what? Sleeping, right. And what did they do? In the midst of their fear, they woke him up. They woke him up. And what did Jesus do? He spoke. Yeah, he spoke. Peace. Be still. Peace. Peace. Be still. And Jesus is in one sense saying, know that I am God. As the disciples' response was, who is this that commands even the waves and the waters? Who is this? They were afraid at the beginning because of the rough water. And their fear increased because they were with someone who commanded the turbulent sea that they believed was threatening, and probably rightly so, their life. Peace, be still, and know that I am God. Yes, one day, all the earth, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. One day, that day ahead, the entire created world will know 
that there is one true and living God. They will know that he has come to earth in the person and work of Jesus. They will be silenced. They will be still and know. But of course, it's to us as well. It's, it's for us to be in a position of awestruck surrender, to know that our striving after this, that, and the other is done and over. The battle is finished. God has won. The battlefield is littered with the instruments of war, but peace has come. It's a reminder that the only safe place in a world under judgment is to surrender to Jesus and to find refuge in him. Because in the true knowledge of God and in the experience of his deliverance, there is peace. The psalm ends with verse 11, which of course is a word-for-word repetition of verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, as it were said, with all the more confidence, added force. We said it once, we're going to say it again. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of might is with us. The God of Jacob, the God of grace is our fortress. Think about it. God's power and his mercy. God is great, as I like to remind myself, and God is good. What a combination. That's why Jesus can be the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Psalm 46 opens up with the voice of man and toward the end it closes with the voice of God followed by an echo of God's people. Now, what do we have in Psalm 46? There's a picture of destruction. I don't know how you get away from that. There is chaos and tumult and upheaval. The the creation, as it were, being upended. The, The politics and military of nations being ravaging and yet stilled. The Lord speaks, and he, and he comes, what, at, 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 at day, right? Um, that expression uh, that he, he shows up when morning dawns. I mean, his mercy is new every morning. It's, it's the dawn of deliverance for the people leaving Egypt when the Red Sea came in over the Egyptian army. It's a picture of destruction, And although it's unspoken, the reality of death is in these verses. The reality of death. You know, there's a lot of talk. Well, what's the death rate? What's the death rate? Because, you know, we're only going to do things based on the death rate. Well, you know what, my friends? Since the fall of man into sin, guess what the death rate has been? 100%. One way or another, everybody dies unless Jesus returns First, the letter to the Hebrews, the author says, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I'm so thankful we've spent time over the, earlier this year in particular, but over recent years in the Heidelberg Catechism, um, question and answer one. 
What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the psalmist declares, and we declare, that God is a very present help in trouble, and God is with us. Our New Testament reading was that well-known passage from Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and many of us, no doubt, turn to it. Do not be anxious about anything. Rejoice always. But I want to direct your attention in particular to what may be the most overlooked and unnoticed part. It's verse 5, the second half. Raise your hand if you heard this or remember this being read. The Lord is at hand. Do you remember that? Or did it just go right over you? The Lord is at hand. Some translations, the Lord is near. That's Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts is with us. God with us. Is your mind starting to turn now? God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. The promised Messiah. God with us. Even Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, said this, And behold, I am what? With you always to the end of the age. You know, that's the only thing that makes the Great Commission possible. Jesus is with us. You know, Stan rightly prayed for us to be a light and a beacon for the gospel. You know how we're going to go and and, and share Christ and and teach? It's because God is with us. He is with us. Can't do this by yourself. I told Jason, man, I've been in the building a lot this week and it's been lonely and quiet. There wasn't really another human with me this week. But you know what? I wasn't alone. God was with me. God is with us. The Hebrews, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 46. Is that in the mind of the author to the Hebrews? Let's uh, wrap up by going to London. Years ago, I had the opportunity to go to London. At the time, I had been raised United Methodist, so I was going to Mecca. I was going to see everything related to John Wesley. Went to his grave, went to Aldersgate Street, where um, he reflects upon his conversion after reading Luther's commentary on Romans. And I remember buying... I had to come home with a souvenir. So I bought my mom a little thing. It, it said, the best of all is God is with us. It had a little kind of outline of Wesley on some Wedgwood China thing. And I thought my mom would like it. And I guess she did. She put it right above her kitchen sink for like years. Best of all is God is with us. Now, in February of 1791, John Wesley, whose brother Charles Wesley occupies a pretty significant portion in the Trinity hymnal with his hymns. Uh, This is an account of his dying hour. 
He grasped their hands and said, farewell, farewell. As others entered the room, he tried to speak, but finding they could not understand him, he summoned all his remaining strength and cried out, the best of all is God is with us. Then lifting up his dying arms in token of victory and raising his feeble voice with a holy triumph not to be expressed, he again repeated the heart-reviving words, the best of all, God is with us. Was Wesley thinking of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us? You bet. Could Wesley have been thinking of Psalm 46? The Lord of hosts is with us. You bet. Because this is what Psalm 46 is saying, and it doesn't say it once, it says it twice. My friends, whenever your earthly life ends, whether it's after a protracted illness, whether it's sudden and immediate, it's known to the Lord, it's not known to us. Would you be able to say those words? The best of all is God is with me. I am with him by faith in Jesus. Are you able to say that now? Who's our only comfort in life and in death? God is indeed a very present help in trouble because Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us right here, right now. You know, for those of you trusting in Jesus, you don't have to dial 911 and be put on hold. He's right here, right now. And he, and he alone, is our only refuge and no strength of our own or goodness we claim. Yet since we have heard of the Savior's great name, by this our strong tower for safety we hide. The Lord is our power. The Lord will provide. God is with us in Christ right here, right now. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm, Psalm 46, that helps us better know our Savior. Oh, Father, we thank you that all of Scripture speaks of Jesus and speaks in one, and points in one way or another to him. So, Father, would you help us to, to ourselves and to others proclaim that you are our refuge, you are our strength, you are a very present help in trouble. We thank you, Father, for Jesus' good word that in the world we'll have trouble, but in him we'll have peace. And so, Father, help us all individually as families and together as a church to take heart, to take courage, to be of good cheer. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.